Welcome to Brigadoon Radio. Brigadoon is the place where entrepreneurs and thought leaders discuss emerging issues shaping commerce and culture. Hey everybody, it's Mark Ross. I'm here with Joe Redston from the Isle of Wight in the UK, yeah, an island off the island. Yeah, yeah, like a, a proper island, <laughs> one that actually feels like one where you can see the sea. I love it, a proper islander. But you're not a proper islander, as we discovered. <laughs> no, technically not. Um, according to, to local law, to actually officially be an islander on this one, you have to have been born here, which which I wasn't, unfortunately. <laughs> so yeah, I've been here for the best part of 40 years, but yeah, not officially an islander. Do you know the phrase carpetbagger? Uh, I've heard it, but I'm going to be slightly... So yeah, it's an, maybe it's an American expression. So you're, uh, you'd be considered a carpetbagger. That's gotcha. pretty funny. Anyways, <laughs> so Joe is a man of many talents. He's worked across the world. He's been an explorer, spent a lot of time in Sri Lanka, which is cool. Um, he's an author. He's a business strategist. He's also the foremost, one of the foremost experts in beach soccer, <laughs> which is exciting. Um, so Joe, tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, here at Brigadoon, we try to talk to subject matter experts, go behind the curtain. You know, mm -hmm. I love obviously your experience, you know, mentoring and helping businesses, especially small, medium sized businesses reach their full potential, but mm -hmm. you can talk about whatever you want. Okay. So, I mean, I, I think I would struggle to describe myself as a subject matter expert on any <laughs> one one subject I, I very definitely put myself in the in the generalist bracket um but i guess the the short version of this would be that my the early part of my career i worked as a musician i played drums uh, did that and then uh, very randomly a friend of mine called me up one day and just said you know do you fancy running a beach soccer event and i was a bit like okay we'll give that a whirl see how that see how that turns out so i did that for um not that long actually it was uh, five years uh, it was ups and downs uh, for sure. Uh, the ups included taking over the England national team and working with Eric Cantona and uh, dropping 250 tons of sand in Birmingham city centre, which was oh my interesting. God, Eric Cantona was my hero. Pop the collar. Oh my God. Oh, is anyway, he really? That, yeah, well, that could... so this is, yeah. So this was mid 2000s. So Eric he's was a, a captain and manager of the French team at that he's point. He's a bit of a madman so, too, right? He's yeah, a colorful guy. I, I'm afraid I don't have any particularly <laughs> colorful Panama stories for you. When I only met him, I only met him a couple of times. He 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 played at a couple of our events, and uh, he was always a gent to us. He he, you know, he did everything we asked him to. Turned up on time, and you know, did his thing. And you know, he didn't play that much either. He was very much about encouraging the the, the kind of younger guys. But obviously, a name like Eric Cantona carries a lot of weight so it was great for us to to have him around and he was very you know he was quite pivotal in in raising the profile of beach soccer in france so yeah, yeah. that was cool um and then sorry just to kind of go back to the story uh beach soccer basically um kind of burned me out uh, not to put too fine a point on it so i ended up selling my selling my home in order to clear all the debts and, and stuff and that was when i cleared off to to sri lanka spent a couple of years wandering about um you know, trying to figure out what to do next, I guess. So Sri Lanka, Thailand, a bit of time in the States actually, and then lived in Spain for a year. And then very randomly when I returned to the UK, got involved in corporate team building. Uh, turned out I had a bit of a knack for that. And really the last 15 years has been been that sort of team building and then more recently moving into the leadership development 
uh, stuff that I do currently. So helping yeah. small business owners figure out what they want to do with themselves, basically. I love it. Um, so musicians, I find the music industry, obviously, I'm a huge consumer of music. Mm-hmm. I find just people as musicians, there's so many talented people out there, uh, but only a few, you know, really break through, so to speak, in terms of, you know, but you've got to be so creative and so driven and it's just a, it's gotta be a great experience to be creative like that. But also in terms of learning entrepreneurship, you know, I was, I find like musicians, great inspiration about how to get the word out and raise the profile. Am I, over, am I romanticizing that or? Um, uh, maybe, maybe a little. And, and I think, <laughs> no, but, but, but I think that might be a bit unfair of me because I think that, the music industry has changed radically in the last 10 years, like so many others have. The, 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 you know, what sort of Spotify and social media have done in terms of an individual being able to, to create. You know, a friend of mine um, is, is a, a bass player, for instance, and he runs a um, bass teaching channel on YouTube. You know, um, wow. I think over 100,000 subscribers. And that's, you know, that's how he makes a living now. And that simply wasn't possible when I was, when I was doing that. Um, so I, I think... I would say that music as an industry as a whole is one that people do tend to over romanticize when when I talk to people now who are thinking about moving into it the thing that I say to them is okay you might love playing the guitar or you might love playing the drums or whatever it is but if you do this for a living only around 10% of your time is actually going to be doing that thing that you love you don't spend that much time on stage if you're a if you're just a working musician most of your life is you know, traipsing up and down motorways in a in a in a van of some description, <laughs> traveling. You know, getting there, having conversations with soundies, and you know, promoting, yeah. figuring out what's going on. So the, the the playing, it's not until you get to that really kind of elevated level where you can can pay everyone else to do that before you literally turn <laughs> up, play, and then just go to the hotel afterwards. When when you're, yeah, you only have to be a a level or so down from that that you know there's a lot of graft in there so so yeah. how did you end up being a drummer i mean as a kid were you playing all kinds of different instruments or did you gravitate towards the drums from the get so i think i think what you've touched on there is 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 a sort of microcosm of my life actually um so i <laughs> i grew up in a in a musical family so so my dad was a musician and absolutely um when i was a kid i tried a bunch of different things you know i you know like most kids at school you know you play a bit of recorder to begin with and <laughs> and i had piano lessons kind of did that for a few years didn't really like it that much so so knocked that on the head then i played the trumpet for a little while and it wasn't until I was 15 that I sat down behind the drums and I just yeah. got it. I, I sat down behind a drum kit and I just went, oh, like, and I don't know why, but it just made sense to me. I, I knew where to put my feet and knew what was going on. And the guy who, you know, it was a, a friend of mine, um, you know, had a kit in his, in, his, in his house and he just kind of said, oh, you know, sit down, see if you can do something. And he, he knew a couple of beats, a couple of groups, and he kind of went, oh, do this. And I just kind of could. So yeah, in the end, drums came quite naturally to me. And most people that I've met who's who have continued to play a musical instrument beyond school have a similar story. Like they had a connection with the instrument that they just kind of go, yeah, it was, it, it just something happened when I picked the guitar up, or something happened when I, you know, when I played the trombone or whatever it might be, and and I just felt at one with it. So yeah, it was that. So 
yeah, there was a sort of testing, testing, testing. Ah, here we go. And I yeah, think that's something that, as I say, I've, I've carried do, carried on doing. Oh, I'm going to test this, test this, test this. Ah, that might be the solution. Are you still playing the drums? Very occasionally, yeah. So you go and uh, just lock yourself in a room and just rock out, so to speak. No, I would. I, I don't do that anymore. But I, I, you know, I still have you know a lot of people that I know who are still playing. And so every now and then I'll get a call from you know a friend of mine going, oh, you know, someone's so ill or we're a bit short notice, or you know, hey, look, we've had this random thing come in. We're, we're down your way. Do you, do you fancy playing? You know, in in a couple of weeks' time, it's like, yeah, yeah, that'd be cool. We're go, we're going to do that, and and that's nice actually. That's to just do it for for fun. You know, not to have to, you know, not to have to worry about what the paycheck's going to be at the end of it. Yeah, that sounds like fun. I'll do that. The one. the drums, it has to be the hardest instrument to play. No, or you're in the so back. It's also like the drummers are in the back. You know, they they're surrounded by so much kit. You know, nobody can really see them. Um, I don't know. They seem to be like the soul of any kind of good, you know, jazz band or rock and roll band. But so there's a there's a saying um, that's very popular with drummers. Um, not you know, you'll find other musicians who would disagree with it. But um, generally speaking, drums are the easiest instrument to learn. Uh, really, you you can yeah you can basically you know you can sit down with almost anybody and within an hour they can be banging something out that you know sort of sounds a sort of Billie Jean type idea that that sounds half decent but they might be the easiest instrument to learn but they're the hardest instrument to master is the that's the sort of saying and I think that's to do with you can just do a hell of a lot of damage on a drum kit like if you're if you're doing it wrong. <laughs> like, you can make a mistake on a guitar and you know sort of the other musos will notice and maybe a couple of people in the audience will notice but unless it's a horrific mistake most people don't really notice whereas you know if you make make a mistake on the drums it's sort of there kind of everyone can see it so yeah there's a bit of that in there as well but you'll find plenty of guitarists and vocalists who would disagree with that statement <laughs> yeah i don't know i'm pro drummer it seems to be anything you can uh throw sticks or kick over a drum. It seems pretty exciting. <laughs> yeah, I don't, have any, I don't have any Keith Moon moments. I'm a little bit more, uh, <laughs> more retired than that. So let's like talk. I think what's interesting, too, is your experience, you know, organizing these soccer tournaments. And then, you know, you did the kind of team building and coaching. It seems obviously like you're really good kind of organizing, bringing people together. I can't imagine mm -hmm. organizing a soccer tournament. I mean, the to-do list must be a thousand things to do. Um, you're laughing so there yeah. <laughs> maybe it's 2000 i mean yeah. talk about the um, patience to organize you know even a dozen people let alone you know a few hundred or a thousand yeah and it really was something you know there, there was there was a bit of experience in there like from from the work i've done as a musician there's a little bit of you know your your although i would never have officially been described as a manager you know i i tended to take the position of you know the sort of peacemaker in bands and was the one who was quite proactive about kind of organizing things and, and so there's always been a bit of that in there as well but um honestly when the beat soccer came it, it's hilarious to me now but th there's sort of confidence that i think we've all got in our 20 you know i sometimes wish i still had it to be honest but i kind of wasn't exaggerating it was literally a friend of mine slightly drunk phoned me up and said i've been watching beach soccer on the telly i think we should do an event and i was <laughs> like why are you finding me he said i need some help and i was like oh, okay like that kind of sounds fun 
And so I watched a bit of beach soccer on, on Sky TV. And it was, so it was 2002. So I think it was the, yeah, you'll know this. Was that a Euros or a World Cup year? It's Euros. Um, probably Euros, yeah. 2000, yeah. Um, right, we're... And so there was a Euros that summer. So we, we coincided, we decided to do a 32-team event in, you know, the, the eight groups of four with the knockouts at the end and all that kind of stuff. We just follow the model. And, you know, we just sort of started and we had no idea, you know, even about where we were going to get a set of goalposts from. And so we got a local metal worker to make us a set of goalposts and like, oh, what else do we need? And we probably need some rope to go around the edge. So it was proper bootstrapping. Um, we just, I think if you'd said to me in that, in that very quickly as well so this would have been the sort of february was when when i got that phone call and we did the event um the first weekend in june so it was it was a couple of months it was sort of three four months i think if you'd said to me in february if you'd shown me a list like this is what you're going to have to do there's no way i would have said yes <laughs> but by the time i realized how long the list was it was you know the, the the publicity was out it was a bit too late to say no so yeah there were some sleepless nights but we got there so yeah like um, you're working with FIFA, which is interesting. You mentioned Eric Cantona, France. You take over the English yeah. national team. Um, it must have been a hell of a run. I mean, that sounds super exciting. But a few years time later, you said, you know, you're you're burned out. You felt like you needed to yeah. kind of take a sabbatical and check out. I mean, what what's the decision making behind that? Like when I don't think that's. I mean, I'm imagining that something you don't just wake up one day and decide to you know kind of pivot and do something else, but. Wow. It kind of builds up and um can you talk about that experience and then now when you're working with kind of small business folks and relying yeah. on that kind of uh background that experience so when i look back on it now what it's, it's very easy to see that the, the fundamental mistake that we made was we didn't know anything about actually running a business so the finance <laughs> i know i don't mean to laugh like that's like the like pricing yeah. what are you talking about yeah, and it really was. It really was that. Um, I don't want to be too mean to you know, sort of twenty-eight-year-old Joe. You know, we did we did sort of do some sums on the back of an envelope, of kind of going, okay, thirty-two teams. If we charge them this much, how much are we going to make? And if we can generate this much in sponsorship, that should see us through. But there was no sense of you know long-term planning around that. Okay, what else do we need to do? How much are we going to need to you know? Because you got a very short window as well, particularly in the UK. You know, our, our season was really June, July, and August, and that's it. Yeah. So you got all your money. There was nothing, you know. There's nothing else we could do. We looked at you know, we tried to run things with schools, blah blah. blah. Anyway, don't say all that. Um, and it was really it was that. It, it was just not paying enough attention to the numbers. And so what happened was. It got to the point where I was putting money in and, you know, there was very little coming out. And then just for my own kind of personal, um, you know, bank account, essentially what was happening was, you know, the amount going out at the start of every month was already bigger than the amount coming in. And I knew enough at that point to go, well, that number's just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. So I need to, you know, I need to kind of close the tap before, you know, the whole thing explodes. Uh, so there was... In the end, there was a sensible financial decision in there, but that was definitely kind of coincided with um, just also just being exhausted. Yeah. Just, just being at the point of going, 
I just don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, you know. Yeah. When you start uh, resenting, you know, everything about it, it's probably time yeah. to check out. Do you think, I mean, it does, do you think you would have traveled regardless, you know, taking that sabbatical, so to speak, and seeing Sri Lanka and Thailand and the U.S. and Spain? Um, do you think that was your nature anyways? Or do you think that was just, you just knew, like, this is something I want to do and the time is right? Yeah. I, so I'd, I'd done quite a lot of traveling previously to that. I, I'd, I'd done, you know, in the run up to, to sort of be soccer starting, you know, I'd done bike tours, you know, I'd been to kind of Cuba and Costa Rica and, and you know, done and bike tours in places like that. And I traveled a bit, you know, kind of prior to that, you know, so, so absolutely travel is, has always been, you know, a really key thing for me. It's, it, it's what everybody says, but I just think it's important to get out there and just see what else is going on in the world. And yeah, so, so really, it, it once I'd made the decision, the debts were paid off, and I kind of went, "Oh, actually, there's there's a little bit of money left." It was then I was like free. I was like, "Okay, it's just me, you know, no kids, no partner, or anything like that." Like I literally could do anything now. And it started, um, some friends of mine happened to be teaching in Sri Lanka at that point. And they just, you know, again, just completely fortuitously, they just kind of went, well, look, why don't you like start here? Like, and see what happens. And so I did. And yeah, in the end, you know, I, I owe, um, you know, huge thanks to Zoe and Robin actually, because that, that sort of three months in Sri Lanka really was a, a real reset for me. So yeah, I think, the, the travel's always been there, but yeah, that, that opportunity opened up and it was just like, fine, fine, let's do it. Do you think the idea of like sabbaticals getting more worked into kind of people's professional lives is yep. going to happen? I mean, I feel like, I mean, I just had a friend, he, he went on a sabbatical for, you know, 10 days, he went hiking out west and yep. we were all like, you know, that's revolutionary, man. <laughs> that's so amazing. Like, but you know, 10 days is like really nothing. You know I mean? Um, wh why? Like, where are we with that? Like, why isn't it more accepted or is it going to be more accepted? Or are we just as individuals, is it on us to say, Hey, I need to check out and I want to mm. spend some time being an adventurer, being a wanderer. Oh, I mean, that's big. So I think what you're touching on there, Mark, is to do with a, a kind of growing awareness that we've all got around the importance of our mental health as well as our physical health. And so, you know, there's some confirmation bias in here because my sabbatical ended up working out really well for me. Um, so I certainly would recommend it. If you, if, if a person finds himself in that position of going, like, I just can't see the wood for the trees here. I just don't know what's going on. I absolutely think that radical change of environment, different situation, taking the pressures away, having you know, because I, I arrived in Sri Lanka and literally just went, I've got no obligations to anyone or anything. Now, that's there's a little bit of luck involved in that for me. I yeah. know that most people aren't in that position. You know, there are there are families and things that, that need to be taken into account. So in that sense, I was quite lucky, very lucky uh, on, on that front. But I would absolutely say that, that the sabbatical should be more accepted it should be a thing where you go yeah oh, go away for a couple of months two three four months or whatever and and take a breath and and see what you actually care about like 
what actually do you like about your life at the moment? What's missing? What do you care about? What do you stand for? All that kind of stuff. Get some clarity around that. And then you'll just be, you know, like you'll be a better human being when you come back for it because you'll have a better understanding of that stuff. Yeah. So do you think, and that was, you came back and it's interesting, um, you know, you're an adventurer, you're a wanderer, and then straight away you're working with some of the biggest corporations in the world, some of the biggest brands, some of the most corporate people around helping them with team building. Um, mm. What was that re-entry like? I mean, I, and also did the sabbatical, it must have obviously helped you help these very stressed out, high powerful people, you oh. know, to see the bigger picture. Yeah, I think, so the time away enabled me to just kind of do a reset. And then when I came back to the UK, I was, <clears throat> again, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I didn't really have a clear plan. I, I had a better idea about just who I was as an individual. And I had a better idea about some of the things that I didn't want to do. Uh, and the, the, again, the reality of it is like the beach soccer, the, the team building came a little bit out of nowhere. Um, yeah. It really was. It was just a, a buddy of mine um, called me up and just said, like, can you get yourself to Birmingham by nine o'clock tomorrow morning or whatever it was? <laughs> uh, I was like, yeah, okay, what, what is it? He said, that's team building. Like, it's fun and the money's good. So I was like, okay, fine. Um, and uh, essentially on that first event, I was just a dog's body. I was making coffee and, you know, moving people around from one, one room to another. But I got on well with the boss. And, you know, we started chatting with, you know, we had a bit of a laugh and stuff. And, you know, they sort of called me back a couple of weeks later. Oh, we've got another event. You want to help out? And it just sort of moved from there. And, you know, because I did have the beach soccer, the event background, like I had a bit of experience in there. And, and those skills were very definitely transferable. Um, and then the musician stuff. So I was used to, you know, being on stages. So, you know, standing in front of a room of people whether it's you know 100 people or the biggest event i did was was 3000 um you know that kind of yes you get nervous but it didn't phase me right. so i had some skills that i could bring in to the team building and then you know the company that i was working for they kind of you know filled in some of the gaps in my knowledge uh, and then i ended up getting interested in it and then so kind of self-educated you know primarily through reading and online stuff um yeah to to expand my knowledge around that kind of stuff and develop it a bit further. So and now you're so, oh, sorry. Yeah. And now you're solely focused on almost, I think, one on one kind of mentorship, strategic yeah. advising, helping yeah. purposely kind of small and medium sized businesses. Mm. Um, I think everything from like laying the foundation, as we talked about, like how to actually make revenue mm. to figuring out, you know, what you're trying to accomplish in terms of the bigger world being almost, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but almost using capitalism as a force for good. Um, mm. How do you find how do you find that the one on one experiences? Uh, I love it uh, is the first thing to say, and it it feels like a very it feels like a very natural place for me to be. Um, you know, having worked with you know large corporates on the on the team building side of things, but then also having you know having had the experiences of some of the companies you know that i've run some of which have gone well some of which have gone less well like you know i i've i've been there you know i i've i've been that person who's who's sitting there you know looking at the bank balance going holy crap that's not very healthy <laughs> uh 
you know, looking at a range of people going like, okay, we need someone in the team here. Uh, what do I need? Do I, like, I've, I've been there, I've made those decisions and sometimes I've got them right and sometimes I've got them wrong. And I, I think to me, that's the biggest part of it is, is that acceptance of going, nobody gets it right all the time. Like, you know, and the world is, the world is complicated and nuanced and, you know, really what I talk about a lot of the time with my clients is what it boils down to is is helping people to live in the gray areas is to, you know, just the polarities, the black, the, the, you know, the, the black and white of a situation. It just very, very rarely is that the case. There's, there's always nuance. And, you know, how do we manage that? Because that's a tough place to be in the middle Sometimes it feels like you're being set upon from all sides. And how yeah. do you manage that? It, and it does seem to, like, I want to talk a little bit about, um, there does seem to be a lot of coaches and strategic advisors and, and clearly even the best athletes in the world, like, they all have coaches and, you know, it's helpful to have somebody to talk to. What's the best way to work with somebody, you know, like a strategic advisor? Like, what, you know, is it just reach out and say, hey, I need help or should you be more intentional about it? Um, what's some advice you have around that? I think... The main thing for me is, is you know, like it's if it's going to be a successful relationship, it's going to be quite a close relationship. So you know, don't be afraid to reach out to people, have conversations with half a dozen different people, and figure out like you know where's the personality match in here. You know, you, you want you, you want someone that you like you know, that you quite like spending time with. Um, I, I don't know if that's a really sort of overly simplistic way of doing it, but there's there's plenty of people out there um, who, who know what they're doing in this kind of world. And there are plenty of businesses out there who, who need the help. I, I would, you know, working in this environment, you know, I would of course say that I think everybody needs somebody like me, um, whether it's me or, you know, whoever else it might be. But I think everybody needs that. Everybody needs that external person to kind of come in and just ask a few questions and say, you sure about that? Like, maybe there's another way of looking at this. Um, you know, and, and sometimes, we're, you know, are you sure about that? Like knowing that the answer is going to be yes, but you just need to have somebody asking that question. So to me, it's that personal relationship. That's That's a really, really crucial part of it. And then, again, for me personally um my first role is is learning about the client and their company um, you know, yeah sort of sounds a bit cheesy sounds a bit obvious but you do need to do that you need to figure out where they're at and you know and then we talk about values and goals and things like that like this is where you are that's where you want to get to what's the journey how do we get yeah there? i love to like, on your like intro video on your website um you talk about you're very frank. In some ways, you're like, listen, you could probably figure this stuff out through trial and error, but you know, why not take advantage of somebody who's made mistakes or has seen the bigger picture? Um, I kind of like that approach. I mean, you're very, in some ways, being very transparent. You know, not too salesy. I mean, I think some people, it's almost like if somebody tells you they have all the answers, they probably don't. So, business, me personally, I've just found it to be a really interesting mental exercise. Um, can you talk about that? Just being more, you know, I don't know if it's being transparent or just being more real or um, just having a more laid back attitude about business or not being so serious about it. <laughs> well, serious I, isn't the right word, but you know, I mean, it's more realistic. Yeah, no, no, I, yeah I, I, 
I absolutely get where you're coming from. So I think I'm 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 really not a fan of you know. There's a lot of people out there at the moment who will will claim that they can offer you shortcuts or hacks to you know like oh do this you know follow these five steps and you'll instantly get this you know this many instagram subscribers or whatever it, or whatever it might be i'm very skeptical about that side of thing i think while there might be some examples where that has worked my suspicion is that that's largely to do with luck more than anything else <laughs> i think when i talk about the the you know, you mentioned in the video, you know, and I do say this to people like, yeah, like if you're, if you've got enough about you to step out into the world and start a business, then you probably have enough about you to, to figure out what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong. The problem can come when that takes you, you know, as it did with me in the beach soccer, when that takes you a little bit too long. Yeah. And so at that point, you know, you want the self-awareness to go, where are my gaps here? So for instance, again, just refer it back to myself and our beach soccer experiences. You know, we just needed a, a we, we needed a numbers guy. Like we yeah. needed someone who understood the numbers. And if we had had that, things may have turned out differently. They may not, but things likely would have turned out differently, I think. Um, but we didn't know enough to know that it's, it's the Dunning-Kruger thing. We didn't know what we didn't know. We thought we could just guess and it would kind of be all right. And, you know, and that we could do it, you know, through trial and error and, you know, we'd, yeah, we'd make some mistakes, but it would be okay. Uh, and, and I think working with someone who's, who's been through that process, you know, been through that experience before, you know, can just help you. There are some lessons, there are some lessons we have to learn ourselves. But there are some things that someone who's who's you know been through the ringer a little bit can say to you, mm, like, I really am not sure that that's a good idea, or you really do need to, you know, um, get someone into. I mean, again, numbers is not my area of expertise, so that's always the first thing that I look at, like, when I'm working with someone. Like, how, do you understand your numbers? And if you don't, let's find someone who does, because yeah. Otherwise, Otherwise, this is a hobby and it could potentially go really horribly wrong. If it's a business, you've got to think about the numbers. I don't know if that answers your question. No, it does for sure. That's kind of where I'm coming from with it. Let me, before we wrap up here, um, the idea too about, you know, getting back to almost like you're talking about being mm -hmm. a musician, you know, the, the environment has changed. In some ways, I feel like it's easier to be an entrepreneur now because there's so much it doesn't take as much the startup costs or so much you know access to tools and applications and freelancing and gigs and whatnot um but it, you're right like the numbers and building the structure how do you help people kind of wrestle between the scaling up process like bringing on new employees or keeping a lean operation do you have any insights on that is it always it's probably not always best to scale up i imagine like i mean i'm sure some stuff could be outsourced or but just working that out is going to be an interesting question it is an interesting question. Absolutely, it is. It's a really important question, and I absolutely do not believe that scaling up is the right answer for everybody. Um, one of the things that one of the first things that I do with clients is get a sense of who they are and what their aspirations are. Like, you know, and, and if I think about you know a couple of the clients that I've got at the moment, you know, one 
you know, they both run tech companies. One has ambitions to kind of take over the world. They want to be the, you know, the largest uh, doing their thing. They want to be the biggest in the in the UK and potentially even bigger than that. And there's another one who, you know, it's him and two others. And he just doesn't want to manage more staff than that. And so my conversations with him are much more about, okay, how do we, ha how do we make this more efficient? Is there anything in here we can automate so that you actually, buy back some of your time so that you're less involved on a day-to-day -day basis but the company is still doing its thing so i'm i'm a very very firm believer that we need to start there like what do you want out of this you know and some self-awareness what are your skills and all that kind of stuff you know are, are you equipped to manage a team of 20 50 100 you know and there's things you can learn you don't yeah. start being able to manage a team of 100 you start being able to manage a team of three and then you go out from there but do you enjoy that part of it and if you don't then probably the idea of growing to six ten twenty is probably not a very good idea for you so i think those conversations around that self-awareness are absolutely crucial well joe thank you so much this was great thanks for coming yeah. to us from the isle yeah. of white um i hope to get there someday i hope to get back yeah, to you can yeah, no, I've sort of noticed I misjudged the time a little bit as well. It's sort of sun's starting to go down here. So it's so sort of getting a bit darker over the course of our conversation. So apologies. Oh, no worries. Really this was great. Organized. How can um, people track no, you down? What's the best place to uh, find you on the interwebs? So uh, I'm lucky to have a fairly unusual surname. Um, so I'm Joe Redston. Uh, so that's J-O-E-R-E-D-S-T-O-N. And, you know, you find me LinkedIn and my main website is joeredston.com. And then my company website is raise, R-A-I-S-E dot global. So, yeah, either of those two places would be great. I love it. Dot global. Power. I love it. Joe, thank you Wonder. so much for coming on Brigadoon Radio. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me, Mark. Thanks for listening to Brigadoon Radio. Brigadoon is where entrepreneurs and thought leaders gather. For more information, please visit thebrigadoon.com.